0: beautiful tune. One that, well, takes me back quite a few years. Way a long time ago, especially up at camp, around a campfire, and there'd be a guitar, and, and, and we would sing this song. But it's a beautiful tune with a message that literally delivers a punch. One the early church really felt. The Jerusalem landscape was completely different at this time. 10 days after Jesus left this planet. After he was crucified, after he was buried, after he was raised from the dead, and he spent about 40 days with his disciples. Then he was taken up back to heaven. 10 days after that, everything changed. There was a spiritual tsunami that hit. The Holy Spirit came to live in Hebrew believers. His arrival literally changed the community. The timid disciples were now bold preachers. Hebrew speakers were fluent in other languages. And about 5,000 people were transformed and empowered. And literally unleashed into the city. The prophet Joel had predicted this hundreds of years before it would happen. But Jesus faithfully warned his disciples and said, This spirit's gonna come, it's gonna change everything, and it's gonna give you power like you've never experienced before by Acts chapter 10 and that's where we are right now all the people groups have responded to God's grace and they all have received the holy spirit the jews and the gentiles and the samaritans the kingdom was advancing at breakneck speeds and communities were being transformed the change was radical Literally, it was so different. Nobody could believe it. Let's pray before we focus on the Spirit's transformation on this early church. Father, we do thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your love, and we thank you for the way that you pursue each one of us. We thank you, God, that you are creator And that when we, well, deviated, when we ran from you, you pursued us and you loved us. We are so grateful you want a relationship with us, Lord. We are so grateful that you, well, sent your son to die in our place so that our sins might be paid for. And that our relationship could be restored. We know, Father, there's other churches all over that are worshiping you right now, hearing from you, that the Spirit is active not only in this community, but in this state, in our country, and all over the world. But we pray specifically this morning for Fox Lake Community Church with Pastor Wayne and New Hope Christian with Pastor Gary. And we pray that you would ignite the speakers that there would be great worship, and that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting, as people were empowered by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit came to live in individuals, it not only changed them, but it changed where they live. Literally, their communities. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start reading at verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Turn just a few pages over in your Bible, if you would, uh, to Acts chapter 4, looking at verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord, and God's great blessing was among them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Let me try to paint a picture here. 5,000 people heard the message of grace and responded. Nobody could predict anything like this. There's a few things that began to happen, but, but these folks began thinking the same way. Now remember, this is a Roman-dominated area. The Roman Empire was the one who really was in power at the moment. And as soon as this happened, as soon as Christians started to rise up and say, well, our king is Jesus, not Caesar, problems followed. Huge problems followed. Persecution happened. There was loss of life and loss of homes and loss of jobs. So what the believers did is they began to rally. The folks pooled their resources, did crazy things like sell houses and property and chariots in order to fund the people who have lost jobs. The folks who were struggling at that moment. One of the leaders named Barnabas modeled this. So we see in this early area, the believers met together, they shared funds, they worshiped, they did the Lord's Supper, which actually we are going to participate near the end of our service today. The Lord's Supper is a time, again, that people literally remember. All that Christ did and that his blood was poured so that we might be restored and redeemed. Amazing. And and Jesus, from the very beginning, said, I don't want you to forget this. So the apostles continued at this time to teach about the resurrection and about generosity or God's blessing. And God simply said this, that he added to the flock daily. That every day, there were more people that wanted to sell their houses and more people that wanted to be persecuted and more... It sounds crazy. (laughs) Why do that? Why would anybody want that? Well, the sharing and the unity was radical. And it pointed only to one thing. And we started talking about this last week, if you're with us. It was all because of the Holy Spirit. It was all because at that time, God sent the Holy Spirit to begin to live in believers. And as believers were filled with the Spirit, they began to mirror God to others. The longer you would be controlled by the Holy Spirit the more the Holy Spirit would chip away in your lives things that don't represent God well. You see, it's important to just, well, let's just say the kingdom was advancing at the moment. But just to be clear, what is the kingdom? And what was the kingdom's message? What was so transforming here? Why did people want to, well, join these, these newer Christians? Well, we know it was important to Jesus here in the book of Acts. If you just go back to chapter one, this is right before again, he left. He went up to his father. But in chapter one, verse three. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And the part I want you to look at right here is is just the next line. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You would think again that more would be discussed, and maybe more was discussed. But this whole kingdom thing, Jesus knew they were struggling and understanding everything. Let me define the kingdom for you. Because in our world, the only kingdom we probably really know about is England's kingdom. And, and we recognize there's a king, there's a queen, there's all kinds of other things that are going on. But they're not actually in power. There's a different way that england rules over there but that's about our concept of a kingdom but god came and talked from the very beginning about the kingdom of god and let me define it this way the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is life the way god intended it to be i want to stop there It's the way life was intended to be. It was his original blueprint for all of creation. It's people living a spirit-controlled life in community and helping others enjoy God. It's beautiful, it's rich, it's amazing, it's fulfilling, and it's flat out different than the culture we live in today. This is what drew the people to God. This unbelievable transformation of people. Now again, I wonder, whoever walks into this place, Whoever has a connection with you outside in your neighborhoods, whoever has a connection to me and find out I'm part of the Cross Point Fellowship community. I'm wondering if the life that I live is so unbelievable, amazing, and attractive that my neighbors are all lining up saying, Rick, what, what, what's the special sauce, man? I don't get it. There's joy, there's purpose, there's a bounce in your step. They're not lining up in my house. They're not. I have conversations, you have conversations, but but somehow do I, your pastor, live a life that's so exactly like everybody else? What makes it attractive? Say, oh, Rick, you're so hard on yourself. uh, True. But these are questions you need to ask. Something was totally so different 2,000 years ago. (laughs) What happened? What's going on? What actually did Christ preach? Well, we know in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and you can see it up on the screen, but Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. From the very, very beginning, Jesus' message was really pretty simple, all right? The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near or here. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. To us, it's a little foreign, and, and we've tried to help each of you understand this, but really what Jesus was saying, the, as a Jew, you were looking forward to the king, for the Messiah, for the person that would come and restore everything. They were tired of the, the oppression. But Jesus came with a different kingdom in mind. wasn't talking about some political rule. And so Jesus starts off saying, repent, literally turn around, think differently. And let me explain to you why Jesus said this. You see, for us, we have this idea of repent as some kind of religious fanatic, and, and we don't really want to, you know, uh, be really vocal and... and But the truth is, every person that walks with God, every person who is spirit-led, every person who allows the Holy Spirit to control them, they will be people who repent often. They may repent 50 times a day. Anytime something is offensive or anytime... In fact, you can ask yourself, when's the last time I repented of anything? And if your answer is... Mm, wow, let me think. Mm, uh, uh, four weeks ago on Tuesday. Well, huh. All I can say that realistically is, whoa, I, I want to sit at your feet. I want to see how you do life. Because for me, what happens is I spend time with God. There are things he starts spying, uh, or shining the spotlight on and I'm offense, offending, <laughs> I'm offensive to God. Oh, last Wednesday was a hard day for me. It just seemed like God kept revealing things in my life. And I made phone calls, and I talked to different people, of different things that I said, and different things that I, that I hurt people in. I'd say, well, Rick, you know, you're a pastor. You're kind of a basket case. I am a basket case sometimes, at least last Wednesday. And it's amazing how God continually reveals things to you. And kingdom people repent. Now, Now, let me say this. We have a perverted view of sin. I know some of you who are newer today, you're going like, oh, whoa, where, where is he going? Just bear with me. Sin is rebellion against God. But, but sin is anything, hear, hear this, that diminishes life. Fullness of life is a gift from the king, a fundamental characteristic of the kingdom. Sin's competing agenda is bent on crippling and destroying the kingdom. The enemy wants to sell immediate gratification or work on our selfish agenda. Sin or rebellion or disobedience diminishes and damages all of life's relationships, resulting in our estrangement from God, from each other, and from creation itself. So, oh, I just kind of thought lying was kind of like a little, you know, that wasn't so good. You're right, it wasn't so good. But what we don't understand, whether it's a lie, Or something you may think is horrific. It diminishes what God's plan is for each one of us. And the enemy has deceived us and literally said, God's way does not bring life. You see, we cannot experience life if there is sin in our lives or if sin is our master. That's why repentance is part of this kingdom living Over and over and over again, you sin. We will all sin. But it's because of God's grace that we can confess our sin and realign ourselves and allow the Spirit to continue to lead us. You see, we experience pain and frustration and anxiety and guilt and hatred and an entire range of toxic emotions because we're selfish. We treat others poorly and ourselves poorly. We neglect God's desires and instructions. We violate the environment. The world is broken. So when Jesus came on the scene and he said, the kingdom is here, I've got some good news for you. People who are understanding the mess they're in, And how living life apart from God is a downward spiral. Oh, this was good news. The kingdom of God is here. And this humble king has arrived. And Jesus illuminated and accelerated the kingdom. The reign and the rule of God. He is restoring what life looked like under a good king's reign and rule. You see, there's no sickness, and there's no hurt. There's kindness. There's forgiveness. There's no grudges. There's serving one another. There's loving one another. No wonder the people were drawn to this. Now, I I want a piece of that. I want to be part of an environment that really cares for me, that knows my name where we serve one another and love one another. And there is there's no disunity. It's harmony. And even when there's conflict, we work through it. Oh, God, I want that. Every place I go is selfish. Every place I know is, is people are, are clawing at one another and hurting one another. But Jesus said, I came to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. That's what the kingdom is. You can have a relationship with the king. That's why Jesus said, repent. Don't think that old way. Recognize a relationship with the king. Whoa. You see, the Holy Spirit has been unleashed so that it gives us power to live differently. Now, Jesus, while he was here on earth, began to teach quite a bit about the kingdom. In fact, as you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, there was a major emphasis of Jesus. These are the gospels. These are the books that talk about the life of Jesus. But Jesus taught much about the kingdom simply because living under the reign and the rule of the king was radically different than the culture that we're living in today. The enemy is the one that says over and over and over again, well, I think God lied. Do what you want to do. Fulfill your own desires. And God's heart breaks. He taught things like, love your friends. (laughs) We can all do that. But what does he tell? Right in the Sermon on the Mount, I not only want you to love your friends, I want you to love your enemies. Oh, God, that can't happen. How? And other things. Forgive everyone. Well, well, no, I I just really want to, I want to forgive people who, the repentant. They feel really bad about hurting me. Jesus says, No. In the kingdom, you forgive everyone. You leave the revenge up to me. Really, God? I gotta trust you in that. Uh, yeah, I'm the king. Okay. And here's the other one. Focus on others before you. Be generous. Ho 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 ho. This simply means God's people were generous people, radically different than the culture had experienced. They'd never seen anything like it. Jesus taught about generosity and investments in his Sermon on the Mount. And as Dan has shared, the whole Bible talks about Money. He said, Rick, if I knew you were going to talk about money, I would not have come. Hey, it, it, I don't tell people what I talk about because then you wouldn't come. You know, it's just how it is. But, but Jesus, <laughs> he, he shares with us that a selfish culture focuses on their needs. They hoard wealth for their comfort and acquire things to make life more comfortable for themselves and families. The kingdom's focus is different, and it's on the future, investing their resources in others and for eternity. Jesus made two points, and if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon, the longest sermon he gave, so that we might understand a little bit what kingdom living is all about. But in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is making two points here. All right. The first point, when you invest, and let me just say this, we all invest. All right, we do. You may not, you, you may not understand that, but, but you do. We all invest. But when he says, when you invest, invest wisely. And Jesus is talking in this whole section about wealth here. All right. He is saying this, if your focus is before the grave, That's an unwise focus. But if your focus is after the grave, it's a wise focus. Think about that. Now, I've already got a few of you a little mad at me, but but again, let's work through this because the message actually has great joy and freedom in it because that's what Jesus is saying. Literally, your treasure... Or let me say it this way: Where you spend your treasure determines your passion. In other words, your heart follows your treasure. Say, well, Rick, I, I, you know, I don't know exactly my treasure is or this or that. Well, one question you could ask, the kind of self-diagnose, would be this: What would you hate to lose? What would you hate to lose? My guess is it's probably at least one of your treasures. But Jesus talked about wealth and talked about the kingdom a lot. And one of the things he, he talked about what discovering true wealth is. In the parable of the hidden treasure, it's found in Matthew 13. And again, Jesus talked a lot, again, about the kingdom in trying to understand this. And he said this, the kingdom of heaven, in verse 44, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Okay, the kingdom. This man, he's walking along, he discovers a great treasure. It doesn't say what he discovers, but it's something worthy To literally go back home, sell everything. Because in comparison, this treasure is worth it. I just need to buy the land. So I'm gonna sell everything in order for me to get this treasure. Now let me just say this to some of us and say, Whoa, what could that have been? How how could I, I don't know. It's just a story that Jesus told. But he's trying to describe the kingdom. And literally what Jesus was saying, there's nothing noble about his sacrifice. Do you get that? When you find something so much better and so much more wonderful, selling everything you get to, to have it, that's not a big deal. I mean, you would be stupid, right? Wouldn't you be dumb if you knew you could get something of greater value if you just sold everything, right? And that's what Jesus was saying here. We may not realize in our lifetime that all wealth will be lost. Again, try to think through this with me. Either while you're alive, everything will be lost, or at your death, everything will be lost, okay? If you're alive and you invest it in eternity, you give it away while you're alive, that is wise. Because if you literally just live for yourself and your own desires and not the kingdom desires, when you die, you lose it all. So either way, you lose it all, but one is really wise. Okay? Jim Elliott one of the m- missionaries that went to the Aka tribe in South America. He's one of these guys that, well, five missionaries were martyred. It, it hit Christendom like a sledgehammer. And literally, um, people couldn't figure out, why would you give up everything? You're going to go live with a tribe and eventually they don't even care about you. What they do is they kill you. What? What's the big deal here? Well, one of the things Jim Elliott said, and, and it has just carried weight. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, to most people... Jim Elliot made a foolish choice. Why would you go out the conveniences of life? Why would you live out in the tribe? Why would you care if Indians don't know Jesus? And his philosophy was just real simple. He says, I'm investing in eternity. That's what I'm going to do. Because all the stuff right now, it's not that important. So I'm going to give up. Well, it's a no-brainer for me so that I can gain in the future. And that's the kingdom challenge. Trade in the temporal possessions that we can't keep in order for eternal possessions which we can't lose. Point number two. Your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure does not follow your heart. As a pastor, again, I've had so many one-on-one conversations or with couples and somebody said, well, you know what, Rick, I, I really want to develop a heart for missions. And my answer to those folks uh, surprised them often. I said, well, why don't you give money, why don't you give more money to missions? I said, Rick, I, I didn't say I wanted to give more money. I, I said, I want, I want to develop a heart for missions. Why don't you try giving some money? And what happens, the scripture says this. You're going to all of a sudden be more concerned about missions. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Now you look, like, hey, God, I want to develop a heart for the church. I knew. I knew your pastor was going to do this one. You know. I'm just saying. You know, those who are real big complainers, those who, who really are really upset with programs, those who are... You know, my guess is they're probably not the greatest givers. They could be, because I don't know who gives what here, but it's kind of my guess. Consider how important your spouse or kids are. I mean, just try to talk about somebody's kids and their present in a negative way. Oh, boy. Mama bear comes out, the claws are there. You're bleeding all over and you walk out of the room. All I said well, oh, 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 oh. do you know how much money I've... S- no, they will never say that. But you invest thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in your kids. <laughs> They're pretty important. Your heart always follows your giving. Now, hopefully, your giving has eternal benefits. Because in the rest of Matthew 6, if you look starting in verse 25 all the way down to 34, Jesus just talks practically. He says there's two two things you can serve. You can serve the king or you can serve money. Just it. Those are two. Two choices. If you serve the king, the king's going to take care of you. If you serve the king, you'll always be provided for You won't always get the Mercedes, no matter what other preachers tell you. Okay? But God will take care of you. That's what he says. That's what the king does. He takes care of his kids. So we can actually be generous. Oh, Rick, I don't want to be foolish. I, I, I don't know the difference between foolish and generous. All I know is that when the widow put two pennies in, Jesus made her a hero because she gave what she was going to live on that day. Everyone else said, fool. Jesus said, you got it, you rock. You know how to give. I'm not even saying you give everything that you're supposed to live on every day. I'm just saying this is what Jesus said. He'll take care of you. And then turn to Chapter, I, I mean, verse thirty-three, Matthew six thirty-three. The song, the verse. Oh, we we see it all the time. We believe it. We say we believe it. If I would ask how many believe, if you seek first God's kingdom, boom, every hand would go up. Look what this scripture says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I know I'm meddling. But Jesus said this. And I know my time and my talent and my treasures all right we teach our kids seek first god's kingdom but what do we model that's all what do we model have our kids ever seen us sacrifice anything so that the kingdom might advance or do we always give god leftovers yeah do we give God what's convenient do we care about how fast the kingdom advances I was so grateful for our people who invested especially in our high school kids going up to camp you know why because that's investing in eternity it is Those who gave, those who ate tacos. And I know some of you spent a lot on tacos that day. Like hundreds of dollars on tacos. There's no taco worth $100. I'm letting you know. But that was investing in the kingdom. Wow. Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar and just ask, do I fill in my calendar with all the things that are important to me first or do I seek first your kingdom? What's important to you, God? Oh, Rick, I'm in a busy seat. I, I, I'm not... I don't know. Maybe you're in a very busy city. I don't know all those things. All I know is that if I seek first the kingdom... My calendar, my checking account, and how I spend my time looks different. And I think you need to look at seeking the kingdom differently. You know, as I was thinking about this message, and I was wondering if I was going to say this next sentence, but I'm going to go for it. Over the years, I've had few people come to me, not like I'm the grand poobah, but over the last 43 years in the pastoral role, I had very few people come to me and say, you know what, Rick, God blessed me. Is there something in the ministry that I might be able to partner with you? It's not like I know all the things in the kingdom. But I know this. I ask myself the question, why does God give me what I have? Because sometimes we think God gives us what we have because we're really good, or we're really smart, or I'm the best salesman. God, I'm good. I deserve a great vacation and a new car and a and better high. Oh, God, you gave me all this just to make sure I'm, I'm really comfortable. Wow. Do we understand, and you've got some handout in your bulletin, And and this really comes from a Randy Alcorn book. And we're going to be talking more about this in the future. But I just wanted to give you some, I think, some resources that will help you understand how wonderful it is to be generous. And that you can invest in eternity. Now. But... It's a question I ask people often. Rick, I got a bonus! And I just ask the question, if I know him really well. Why do you think God gave that to you? (laughs) Well, I got to pay off some bills. Okay. But do you really think God gave you that just for you? That's all. The answer is to advance the kingdom. What have we learned today? It's wise to invest for eternity, to focus on what's after death, not before. We are all managers of God's gifts. Literally, I don't care what you have. I don't, I don't know what you own. But God has only given that to you and given to me for one reason manage it. It's not yours, Rick. Do you understand it? Your O5 F 150, not your truck. It's my truck. We are managers of God's gifts. You know what's so cool? All right. First Chronicles. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just read through this. Because David, a man after God's own heart, he is near the end of his life. All right. His son is going to take over Solomon, the king of uh, Israel. I was going to say Egypt. Where am I going here? Okay, 1 Chronicles 29. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Oh, Lord God, God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Everything in heavens is in heaven everything in the heavens and on earth is yours O lord in this kingdom we adore you as the one who is over all things look at verse 12 wealth and honor come from you alone chuck swindoll said this one of my favorite teachers Stewardship is managing God's treasures in a way for God's purposes and always for God's glory. We begin life with our hands wide open and nothing in them. As we mature by God's grace, He allows certain things to be placed in our possession, none of them under our ownership. Remember, He owns everything in heaven and earth, all is His. So in pleasing Him, we live our lives with open hands. We accept what He entrusts to us as stewards or managers, never as owners. We dare not think of gripping things He entrusts to us. We hold everything loosely. We simply maintain the treasures He entrusts to us, investing them wisely, but never forgetting That any time, if he wants to remove those things from us, it's his sovereign right. He's the king. That a time may be in the middle of our lives when we feel most prosperous. It may be early in our lives when we think we've earned the right to make a lot and spend a lot. It may be later in life when the nest egg is broken and we have little to look forward to except an empty nest. You see, generosity is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit came into these early believers, and all of a sudden, nothing they saw in their hands was theirs. Even their property, absolutely radical. I'm going to sell my house so I can help a brother. That is so not cool. But that's what the Spirit does sometimes. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that seeking your kingdom goes against everything. Logical. We want stuff for us. We want money to provide for our family. We want possessions to make life easier for us. We want to make sure that when we retire, oh, we retire. Oh, God, would you help us seek first your kingdom? Would we recognize that investing in what is kingdom provides unbelievable reward and enjoyment for all of eternity? Don't let the enemy's lies deceive us, God. Help us. Help us. Trust the King to take care of us so that we might be generous and hold loosely everything that you give us. Whether it be finances, jobs, possessions, people, may we continually seek first your kingdom. And would your spirit so be radically active in our church, in our people, that folks looking in on the outside think we are crazy. We are crazy. Because we're trusting our king and being generous with what we have. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.